That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No. Look hard. You see, he lives in you. going through the book of Romans according to Walt Disney, and this is our final chapter. Uh, actually, there, there, there is a message in this for us. I want you to like, listen to this, and I'll show you a little bit of, in, a, in a minute. But like Simba here, he is wasting his life, his only life. He's pursuing whatever feels good. He's doing whatever is easiest. He lives around fear. He is the original cowardly lion. And then he has a visitation from a priest-like person, monkey, whatever, and, and then a visitation from the ghost of his father, right, Hamlet. And, and he says, look harder, and the priest says, he lives inside of you. Hey, that's kind of like us. It's the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of us. Chester, G.K. Chesterton said, no great story can leave out the gospel because God embeds that great story in the soul of every great storyteller, whether it's Shakespeare or it's fantasy or fairy tales. And that's why you see this. You see him saying, you know, you have forgotten me, therefore you have forgotten who you are. You are more than what you've become. He's saying there's, your, your identity is so much more than this lazy, selfish lion. You are my son. We are his son, right? Remember who you are. This is you and me. We can live either out of fear or selfishness. We can live in a way that we waste our life and we become less than we really are. We either don't believe or don't fully understand or sometimes just forget the power of the gospel, the gospel that lives within our souls that made us different. We are sons and daughters of God himself. He's made us that way. God did not send Jesus to die and be raised again to make us better. He did that to make us new. He did that to give us an entire new identity, the identity of his son. And today's kind of the theme of today is, therefore, do not waste your life. Do not waste your life because your, your soul, your essence is righteous. Live that out. Live that out. Live the life of a righteous person. Here's kind of an example. I've told the story before, but it's worth repeating. When Melinda and I were dating, she was uh, not good at sharing her feelings at all. She had a lot of, I guess, I don't know, self-doubt, very reserved, drove me crazy. I didn't know if she even liked me. 
broke up with her for two weeks. She didn't even know it, <clears throat> but, but it was hard on me, and it was retarding our relationship. And, and it, because of her, I guess, self-image, it was stunting the growth of who she is and who she was meant to be. And one, one night we were having a conversation, and I just, it was frustrating me, just trying to get feelings out of her and what she was, you know, thinking. And I just said, you're just so beautiful. Why don't you let that out? And she said, well, you know, I'm not the prettiest person, and I don't feel it. I said, pretty? Who cares about pretty? Pretty wrinkles, and it sags. It doesn't do well with age. I'm talking about beauty. Beauty is in the soul, and the soul beauty, it just gets better. If it's cared for, it, it blooms over the years. I just said, you're the most beautiful girl in the world, and, and you need to share that. And he's like, ah, yeah, okay. I said, then I thought, you know what? Uh, I think she just dared me. You know, I'm, I'm pretty competitive. And so she's like, oh, really? Okay, really? So we kind of stood up, and I, I hugged her, and I said, I just whispered into her ear, you're the most beautiful girl in the world. You're the most beautiful girl in the world. You're the most beautiful girl in the world. And then I said, you need to say that back to me. And she said, no. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know what? I got all day for this. So I said, fine, let's, again, competitive. So we were like, you're the most beautiful girl in the world. You are. You are the most beautiful girl in the world. It's a longer story, but you get the idea. And then I said, say it back. And she did. And I said, now say it back like you're bragging about it because you believe it. And she did. And it started to change her. It, she changed a little that day, little victories. She started coming out. What was already there what was already inside of her, that beauty, started showing up in her behavior, okay? And to this day, she signs her name, at least to me, MBG, Most Beautiful Girl, because she is. She is. I didn't say those things to her to flatter her. I said those things because I wanted to change the way she thought about who she was. And in that changing, she, she's a deeply beautiful person, and that would be... Her, that's her identity, and she needs to acknowledge that. I didn't say that because I wanted her to feel better. I said those things because I wanted to change her behavior based on a belief that there'd be no more of this shy, bashful thing because there was so much beauty to be enjoyed by everyone else. I told her what I told her because that's what a friend of virtue does tells the truth and brings out virtue in the people that they befriend. I wanted to be that kind of friend for her. And here's the big thing. Here's today's thing. I didn't want to waste her life. Being shy and bashful and inhibited, that was a sin against God and who he is and who he made her to be. It was a sin against all the people that she would befriend and encounter in her whole life because she was withholding that Melinda from them. And this is kind of, kind of existential, but... She was sinning against Melinda, that, that designed person before the creation of the world, what God foreknew to be, and she needed to become that. She owed it to that, that expression of, create, of, of creation. So the, the, kind of the bigger point of the Lion King story and even my story with Melinda is that it it is so easy for us to forget 
who we are. Remember, right? Remember who you are. And so we have to say it again and again and again. We have to repeat this thing so these truths get into us, so that these truths are remembered and they are lived out because we're being bombarded by lies. And so we've got to go back to these truths and regularly alter what we believe. These truths, like what truths? The bad news. The bad news is God's holiness, that God is, his essence is righteous, tzaddik. He is perfect perfection. That's his nature. And we, bring, being brought into that presence, we cower with fear. We can't endure it. Not his fault, our fault. But that's his nature. That's the hard news. The the bad news, the terrible news, is that God is obligated by that standard of righteousness that that's the only way we can enjoy a relationship with him. That's the only way we can know him is we have to be sadiq, like a plumb line, perfect, perfection. The good news, the word gospel literally means good news, and I would say great news, is that Jesus exchanged his sadiqness, his righteousness for our rags, for our sins, making us that way. The crazy news that we need to remember is that when the Father looks at us, when he looks at our identity, when he looks at our essence, he sees the very righteousness, the holiness, the perfect perfection, the sadiqness of Jesus in his humanness. That's how he sees us. That's true. It's settled in heaven and hell. The only place that's up for negotiation is in our particular souls. And so we we should behave out of that new identity. Small victories, working its way to big life change. Here's how you do that. You, You realize that freedom is wasted, particularly in these moral issues, you become a slave to righteousness, to slave, a slave to your identity, this new identity in Jesus Christ. You choose your friends very carefully, the ones that are influencing you. You choose friends for virtue, those that bring out this righteousness, and you are a friend of virtue to other people. You remind them of who they are. What's a guy like you, a girl like you, doing like that? You're a righteous child of God. Remember Remember, you are his daughter. So the summary of the gospel is that Jesus did not come to make bad people good or good people better. He came to take dead people and make them alive. He came to change the very essence of who we are. And because of that, we should not waste our life. Do not waste your righteous life. Like, how dare you? Knowing the power of a word, watch this. This is just kind of a, I just felt like I had to get it in here. Uh, now that we know what sadiq means, righteous, right? Perfect perfection. Watch this. This is kind of fun. Watch how this could apply. Here's a promise in 1 John verse uh, 1, 9. He says this. If we confess our sins, okay, good, we can do that. Then he is, uh, God is faithful and righteous. Hey, there's our word, sadiq. He is faithful and righteous to do what? Look what it says. To forgive our sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness, all our unsadiqness. So what do we do? We confess our sins. And God is faithful. He's dependable. You can count on this. I wonder why. Because he's righteous. 
See, he's obligated by his own identity. His, his, his perfect perfection, his holiness is, is obliging. He is, it is forcing him to fulfill the promises he makes. He can do no other. And what's, what's he going to do? He's going to cleanse us from our sin. How much? How thorough? How clean? It says, cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Of course, all everything. How, how could he not clean us that clean? In other words, how could God say, okay, I got you pretty far along, almost there, I'm leaving. No, no, no. He's a perfect perfectionist. <laughs> and he looks at our souls and we confess our sins. He is faithful and righteous by definition. He's going to come in and cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. People say, how do you... How do you live? What does it mean to live by faith? How do you live by faith? You take this promise and you hold God to it. You, you wa- you're walking around and saying, look, I've got an identity. I'm forgiven. How do I know? Because God's righteousness promised it. And so you live out the promises of God. As, I don't want to say it, as though they're true. No, because they are true. It, and like, I don't feel forgiven. No one's asking. No one cares. So, <laughs> faith, feelings, doesn't matter. This is like math, physics, science. It's true. It is just true. And so I live as though I am forgiven because I am forgiven. It is no wonder. Look at the power of this word. Isn't it any wonder why people stitch this into clothing and carve it into rocks and inject it into their skin? Because they want to remember, remember, you are made new. You are righteous. You are sadiq. You are, God lives in you. His spirit lives in you. And why? Because you've been made righteous. He wouldn't live in a house or in a soul that that weren't perfect. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. So much of Jesus' teaching, he comes at the people in his audience and he's saying, look, you, you're getting distracted. You have one life to live and you live with the consequences into eternity. Don't get distracted. Don't be deceived. And it's very easy to be distracted or deceived. And so Jesus says, it's just so easy to forget our identity in Christ and find ourselves just kind of wandering into the deceitfulness of riches that he deals with. Look, the devil doesn't like ring your doorbell and say, okay, give me your entire soul. I'm going to buy all of you all at once, lump sum. And then after I take your soul, I'm going to tear apart your family. I'm going to ruin your reputation. You might be destitute or you might be the richest person in the world. won't matter because I'll own you. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. That's not how people sell their souls. They take a little bit at a time. The road to despair is a subtle slope downward, little by little. You don't know you're giving up yourself to, so that you'll be liked by a lot of people or famous or have your, all your bills paid or your appearance would be better than anyone else's or seems to be a thing going around. So your parents will like you or they'll respect you. One more 40-something comes to me and says, I want my parents to accept me. Like, grieve over it, move on, play different tapes, don't waste your life here. 
And so that's what Jesus is coming in going, you're so easily deceived. You're so easily, you know, distracted. Don't. And so he tells a parable. Look how easy it could be. So he tells a parable. I love this parable because the, the main character is somebody that we would really be drawn to. That's the point. It's in Luke chapter 12. And the original audience, they would say, yeah, that guy's successful because he is. And even them, back in those days, their worldview was all you know, God-centered, and so they would say, God has blessed this guy. God's blessing him. He's rich. We would say he's a great guy too, but Jesus says mm, doesn't end well because he's deceived. His identity has been sold, and he sold it. It starts off by this. He says, the ground of a certain rich man had a bountiful harvest, and so he says to himself, I don't have enough room. What will I do to store up all, this, all these crops? So not to be, I mean, first of all, it's kind of funny that with the efficiency of Jesus, he says the ground caused this. So in other words, God caused this. It was just the dirt doing this. He didn't do it per se. God did. And, he, and, and his identity is wrapped up in wealth and accumulating more. That's the problem. It's not wealth that's the problem. Too many stories in the Old Testament, New Testament about wealthy people being blessed by God and God gave them that, that wealth that you just can't find it. You can't find that money is evil in the Bible. All you can see is the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not wealth. It's the deceitfulness of riches. And here's, the, here's kind of the fundamental law. If your identity is attached to and wrapped up with anything that can be lost, stolen, or taken, you're foolish. And you probably should be afraid, very afraid, because the way you're identifying yourself, your identity, the way you're, you're, you're giving yourself value is fragile. And that's why Jesus is bringing this up. He, he, the, the, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches are attached to the worries of the world because if you are identifying yourself as rich, then you have to worry about keeping it. Or if you just want to be rich, you have to worry about getting it. Too many stories in, in our lives and in the gospel of people that forgot. They just forgot. They start off loving the gospel, enjoying the fullness of the gospel, and they get distracted or deceived, and they come to ruin. And usually most people that are attached to them and that love them. It's, again, when it comes to wealth, it's, I guess the saying is, it's one thing to have wealth, it's another thing for wealth to have you. Uh, the old parable or whatever, the fly lands on the fly paper and says, my fly paper. Then the fly paper says, my fly. <laughs> so Jesus is saying, don't not waste your eternal life on being consumed with things that are temporal. And so he tells the end of the story. He says, and then he says, this is the rich person with the huge harvest, he says, uh, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store up all my grain and all my goods. And then I will say to myself, self, you have plenty of good things laid up for many, many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. You've got all the bases covered. And God said to him, you fool. 
This very night, your life has been demanded of you. Then who will take what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with everyone who stores up things for, them, for himself but is not rich towards God. He crossed a line somewhere. He never saw the line. He was going down, descending, and he never saw the subtlety of the slope. And he wasted his life. He forgot who he was. He forgot who he belonged to. And he lost everything. He made all these contingency plans for all these possibilities and never considered the one thing that was absolutely inevitable. Just to be clear, I think Jesus, the way he tells this story, wants us to visit his, his uh, funeral and hear the eulogies because this was the definition of a successful and blessed by God person. He was a leading entrepreneur. He is a pioneer in, in delivery systems. People are coming up telling stories. He had a great golf game. Boy, he played a good game of golf. He was a straight and narrow guy. He never cheated on his taxes. He never cheated on his expense report. He never cheated on his wife. He was the pillar of the neighborhood. He was the standard of a good man with all these people going on and on. And then an angel takes the microphone and says, this is from Jesus. He's a fool. The man was a fool. Carve that onto his headstone. Fool. It's a pretty harsh word in the Bible. It's used sparingly. And God is calling this person a fool because he considered all these contingencies. He, like, covered all of his bases. He thought through every possible future solution to all those financial problems except not living through the night. He didn't think about the thing that was the only thing certain in life is death. And he was so busy building his little kingdom that he didn't think about the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom of God. <laughs> the deceitfulness of riches are attached to the worries of the world because when you attach yourself to riches, you'd better be worried. If your identity, right, if your value is, is belonging to something that can be lost, taken, or stolen... You're foolish. You're a fool. And you're going to waste your life, the only life you have. Remember, he lives inside of you. You're Sadiq. You're righteous. You've been made new. You are heaven bound. Live that way. Here's what Jesus says. This, it's, it's all of Luke chapter 12, by the way. All of Luke chapter 12 is this one theme. I just want you to see Luke's version says, but, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you. I love what Matthew says, same sermon. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and his sadikness. There's our word. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things are going to take care of themselves. In other words, think about the eternal, the temporal Take, it'll be done. As a matter of fact, Jesus in this sermon kind of makes fun of worrying about that kind of stuff because he goes, look, I know you're worried about your clothes. I know you're thinking about food a lot. I hear your prayers. But, I mean, I, I put clothing on flowers, and they look awesome. I, I feed the birds. They're okay. I care more about you than birds and flowers. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Hey, wait, that's your identity. 
His righteousness is your identity. Think eternal things. This whole, this whole section, he's, he's trying to get us to think about his rule, his reign in our life. That's what it means to seek the kingdom of God. He's the king. We follow orders. And so all of life is about showing. All of life is a means of showing that God rules. That's the seeking first the kingdom of God. Our possessions, all this stuff I've been given by God to show angels, demons, the spirit world, and everyone around us, they don't own me. I own them. I give them out anytime I want, wherever I want, wherever God tells me. I, I'm part of this kingdom. Everything is a means to the end of the kingdom. Even like your family, even your marriage, they're not first. They play a terrible first as in they become idolatry. Jesus is saying those things can be used to show angels and demons in all the created world that your king is Jesus Christ, the eternal kingdom. That's the point. That's how you seek first the kingdom of God. That's another way of looking at identity here in this description is if, if your life were a wagon wheel, okay, right, with a bunch of spokes coming off, what's in the middle holds everything together. Jesus is saying, you're an eternal being. Make sure that, that hub in the middle is eternal. Because if you put anything else in there, that wheel's going to fly apart. You put possessions in the pursuit of possessions, and I, you see, we know, right, people do this. Bank account is how you keep score. And they pick a church by who can help their bank account. They pick their friends by that. It's all about getting more. And their lives, well, they're foolish. Some people's lives are driven in the middle by some kind of passion, some kind of desire, sex, uh, or, or just feeling good, food, alcohol, some kind of drug maybe, and they serve well, and then they become our master. My fly paper, my fly. It's a foolish way. It's a temporal thing, and our souls are eternal. And so Jesus is saying, you have an eternal soul. Make your hub eternal. Remember who you are. You are righteous. For God's sake, for your sake, for the kingdom of God, you have to have your identity in Jesus Christ. His righteousness can't be stolen, can't be lost. It, it's forever. And so you, you live your life around that. Seek first the kingdom of God, that righteousness, and all these other things, they'll come to you. You want to know how to, like, ruin your life? You know how to miss this? You seek second the kingdom of God. That's, the pro that's what happens in church all the time. It's not like he's not in there. He's second. And it doesn't work because it's not true. The kingdom of God has to be first. Then all these things are added to you. Here's how you waste your life. The seeking second, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's how it plays out. This is what it looks like in Romans. We're in the book of Romans. We do not live to ourselves. We do not even die to ourselves. See how everything's a means to show the kingdom, right? Even our death is a means to show angels and demons. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Everything belongs to him. Everything is a means to that end. The hub of our life is, whether we live or die, it's to the glory of God. 
Everything spoke comes off of there. It's not that difficult in its expression. It's difficult in trying to remember. Remember who you are. Remember the spirit lives inside of us. Remember who our whole identity is. But once we do that, here's what's funny. Just live life. And all these things will be added to you. Romans 16 is this is the end of the book and of Romans, and it's a chapter filled with people that were seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I want you to see how simple they're being praised forever. <laughs> okay, look, look they're in the, their names are in the Bible, 16.3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ, who risked their very lives for me. That's, not a lot of people get to do that. Not only I, but also the church, churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. You know how they're living for the kingdom of God? They're hosting a, a church. That's it. Open your doors. Okay. Then you end up in the Bible. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. That's all. Mary just worked very hard. That's it. Then these twins, twin ladies, greet both of them. <laughs> Those women who worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend, Persis, another woman who worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus. That poor guy has a terrible name. Choose, chosen in the Lord. And look at this. And his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Romans 16 is a Mother's Day card for Paul on Mother's Day. I don't know who this woman is, but she treated Paul a full-grown man who stares down emperors, she mothered him. She was just living out her identity. That's all she was doing. She was Sadiq. She lived a life that wasn't wasteful, and she showed that to Paul. She mothered Paul. Awesome, right? Just enjoy the Lord and do what he tells you. Here's how it all ends. Here's how it all ends. This is what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 25. He said, and now the son of man will come and he will be accompanied by all of his angels and he will come and take all the men and women and all of creation, all the nations, it says, and they will sit around his throne room and he will divide them up each and every one and they will give an account and the goats will be on his left and the sheep will be on his right and he'll turn to the sheep and he'll say to them, Come and enjoy the inheritance that the Father has prepared for you before the creation of the world. It's yours. And the people said, why? And he says, well, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was needing clothes, you clothed me. When I was lonely, you came and visited me. When I was sick, you helped get me better. And the people said, you and I said, wait, what? I don't remember any of that. When did that happen? And he said, whenever you did it, to the least of these, you are doing it to me. Did you know when you serve in our children's ministry, when you care for those young children, when you're part of the discipleship for the least of those, you're doing it for Jesus? That's just you being righteous and then living it that way. And the poor people that get here at 6 o'clock or earlier in the morning to make coffee for all the rest of us, that's just people just working hard, ending up in eternity maybe. That was you staying after mops and having a conversation with someone that was especially scared. That's you, like, opening up your house to a youth group Bible study. So you see, you see, it's a simple thing. It's a lifestyle. It's something that you just need to remember. 
who you are. You are my son. You are my daughter. I have changed you. This is God speaking. I have changed you and made you righteous. Sadiq, perfectly perfect. Now, don't waste your life. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's pray. Look harder. Remember. You are forgiven. How forgiven? Cleansed of all unrighteousness. He couldn't clean you any other way. The righteousness of God has, a, has obligated the holiness of God to make you entirely new. Lord, we are grateful that we are considered sons and daughters, that we are princes and princesses of a royal family. You have taken our homeless, stinky garb, and now we, we wear, wear robes. Lord, I'd ask that you would help us remember and believe what is already true about who we are, that we might choose to behave that way, befriend and be friends, and live a life that's worthy of the calling of the forgiveness that we have already enjoyed and received in eternity. We pray that we would live a life, we'd be a church like that. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.